0: Good morning. We're glad that you're here today. Very thankful for your presence. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back. We're so glad that you've chosen to be with us today. We're thankful for the number of visitors we have from week to week, and we appreciate so much you being willing to come and honor us with your presence. If you're here today and you're in the process of looking for a church home, as always, we invite you to consider the work here. We'd love to have you come and be a part of our family. I know that if you have questions about the work here, the elders would be more than happy to meet with you, answer any questions you have, and we would love to have you. We're going to be talking today about the city with no lights, The passage that was read a moment ago in the 14th chapter of the book of Proverbs. Solomon said, the righteous has a refuge or hope in his death. The song we sang a moment ago reminds us of the fact that Christ rose from the dead. And it's on that basis that we too have hope beyond this life. I've said before and I'll say it again, I really believe that the Christian life is the best way to live. It is the best life, it is the blessed life. If you want to enjoy a quality of life that is unparalleled, then you need to be a Christian. Because not only are there intrinsic blessings in Christ today, but there is hope beyond this life. Last month on September the 17th, a group of us left our evening services and made our way to the cemetery there to remember the life of Andrew. It would have been his 21st birthday. And as we made our way to the cemetery, it was quite dark. And as I stood out in the middle of that cemetery, I couldn't help but be impressed by the darkness. And I got to thinking about all the, the graves in that cemetery. No doubt hundreds, if not into the thousands. And there's something about the cemetery at night. It's quiet. It's dark. There are no lights. There's a gate. But not to keep the people who are inside the gates confined to that place, but rather to keep people out at night. As we went to sing and to reflect upon his life, It wasn't intended to be a night of sadness, but really a time of happiness, a time of joy. There's something about death and something about going to the cemetery that truly, in many ways, leaves us with the impression that this is the end, and for many, it's a sense of bleakness, a hopelessness, and yet, When we visit the cemetery and stand at the side of a grave of a loved one, somebody that we've known and loved and spent time with, when I think about somebody who dies in Christ, what comes to my mind is that this is not all there is. I understand the finality in some respects of death. A tombstone is made. Sometimes epitaphs are etched in that stone, reminding us of a saying or something about our loved one. But again, to remember that's not the end. This is not all there is. This is not the final portion of the story, so to speak. But there is life beyond. Life beyond the grave. And so when I read the words of Solomon and think about the fact that the righteous has hope in his death, I'm encouraged. Job, many years ago, asked this question, If a man die, shall he live again? You know what the answer is? Yes. Yes, he will live again. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And so to know that in Christ, there is hope for a better place and a better life. I want you to think with me for just a moment or two about, first, the conqueror of death. Who was it that conquered death? Well, we want to talk about that in a minute. But I think first we need to ask the question, why death? The cause of death. Because when you begin to look at the human family, you see that man's existence is marked by death, isn't it? It is a common reality every day, not just in America, but around the globe. People are stepping out into eternity. And sometimes we talk about people stepping out every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every month of every year until Jesus comes. And so, yes, yes, death is a reality. The Hebrew writer said, It is appointed that a man once to die, after this cometh the judgment. But why death? What's the cause? I can sum it up for you in one word. And that one word is sin. Paul said, Through one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And death is passed upon all men, For all have sinned. And so the cause of death, and it is described by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as an enemy. The cause is sin. God had said to the first couple that they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because God said in a very plain and forthright way, The day you eat thereof, He said, You'll surely die. Genesis chapter 3 is but a reminder that Adam and Eve transgressed the law of God in the Garden of Eden, imposing death upon themselves. So God intervened and began unveiling His redemptive plan in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The consequence, however, death. So we think about the brevity of life. I don't have to stand here and talk to you about how brief Life is because at best it is so brief. Do you remember when Jacob reunited with his son Joseph? And Joseph had Jacob and his brothers brought down to the land of Egypt, and they would later settle in the land of Goshen. And Jacob stood before Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked him, How old are you? And he said, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. But he said, Few and evil have been my days upon or in this life. Here was a man that lived to be 130 years at that point in time, and yet he reflected upon his life, and he said, Few have been my days upon this earth. Job said, Man born of woman is of, listen to him, A few days. Psalm 90, the Bible tells us we might live to be 70 or 80 years of age. But the psalmist said those years are accompanied by strength, sorrow, and labor. And then he said, it's soon cut off and we fly away. And so in light of the brevity of life, he would say, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. James in chapter 4 asked this question. What is your life? In his response, it is even as a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So the brevity of life, you might live to be 70, 80. Some of you here today, into your 70s, 80s, some exceeding that. And yet to know life at its zenith is short. And so I think about the brevity of life and then the burdens of life, because one of the consequences of sin in the garden human suffering. Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Think about those of us who are here today and the problems and heartaches and sorrows that we have experienced. And then add to that the number of people that we're associated with, whether a friend, a coworker, a classmate, a neighbor, I mean, you think about all of the people that you know whose lives are chronicled by burdens. Don't you think Job was well qualified, well qualified to pen chapter 14, verse 1? When he said, man born of woman is a few days, listen to him, and full of trouble. Did, did he know what he was talking about? You know, sometimes when you're faced with adversity or difficulty in life, or quite possibly a decision that must be made, and it is a very important decision. You want to talk to somebody who's been there and done that. And if I want to know about human suffering, then I want to read the book of Job. I want to see how he reacted to trial and tribulation. How, how did he respond in the face of adversity? So life is filled with adversities. We talk about the brevity of life and the burdens of life. So, the cause of death. But then I want to introduce you to the one who conquered death. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 at verse 14 that Jesus destroyed him who had the power of death. Listen to him. That is the devil. Adam and Eve succumbed to temptation in the Garden of Eden because of the work of the devil. And Jesus came... To destroy the very work of the devil, according to 1 John chapter 3, when Jesus died on Calvary's cross, in the minds of many, wickedness triumphed. To some, the devil had won. But you remember in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God said, speaking of the serpent, that his head would be bruised the heel of Jesus, the promised seed, would be bruised. Jesus suffered immensely on Calvary's cross. But when He was raised from the dead three days later, He dealt, as we would say, the devil, a death blow. And so Jesus conquered death. He has conquered death. And as Paul would say, the last enemy to to be destroyed is death. So we can take comfort in knowing that there's coming a day and time when, as John would write in Revelation chapter 21 at verse 4, that death will be no more. Never again will you stand at the side of an open grave. Never again will you bid good night to a loved one. Those days will be long gone. And the same God who said, There will be no more death, said, God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. Let me tell you, that's encouraging. So we think about the one who conquered death. But what about comfort in death? Is there comfort to those of us who belong to the family of God when it comes to death? I want to answer that with an emphatic yes. I want you to leave here today knowing that there is comfort, there is assurance, there is confidence in knowing that death is not the end. The Hebrew writer talks about it in chapter 2, verse 15. Those who through all their lifetime lived in fear of death. They were in bondage to death. There are a lot of people that fear death. And they're terrified of the prospect of stepping out into eternity. Why? Because we've never made that trip before. We've never stepped out into eternity. We don't know what it's going to be like. We can read about it. And by faith we know what to expect in many ways but quite frankly no one has ever experienced none of us have ever experienced death and so we know it's coming so how then are we comforted what's the comfort what's the solace in knowing that death is coming well number one I want to suggest that when you die in Christ please listen you are ushered into the presence of the Lord. Think about that. When you die in Christ, you are in the presence of the Lord. In Luke Luke 23, when Jesus was on the cross, you remember one of the thieves said to him, Lord, when you come in your kingdom, remember me. Do you recall what Jesus said today? You shall be with me, where? In paradise. Luke pictures it as the bosom of Abraham. And so, we are with the Lord. Paul wrote many years ago, For to me to live is Christ, but he said to die is gain, to depart and be with Christ is far better. And so, we are in the presence of the Lord. Paul said to be present in the body is to be absent from the Lord. He said we walk by faith and not by sight. In verse 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul would say that we have confidence. Well, why is that? Because he said to be absent from the body is to be present. And the idea is to be face to face with the Lord. You are in the presence of the Lord. And so you are you're with the Creator. You're with the Lord Jesus. What about those who are in the presence of the Lord? Well, first, the Bible says they're in a place of comfort. You remember in Luke 16, 25, when Abraham talked to the rich man? And he said, speaking of Lazarus, he said, he's comforted. I can't fully explain to you everything that is beyond this life, beyond the grave, but I do take comfort and confidence in knowing that when we step out into eternity that we are in a place of comfort. Don't you like to be comforted when you're hurting, when you're in sorrow? When you faced adversity or trial, to know that you are in a place of comfort and then to know that you're in a place of rest. Because John said in Revelation chapter 14, verse 13, and John was writing to Christians who were suffering immensely. And they were, some, some were going to be martyred, some had been martyred for the cause of Christ And so John could say, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. He said, Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Think for a minute about the Apostle Paul. Here was a guy that expended literally every ounce of energy that he had for the cause, didn't he? Here was a guy that constantly was preaching and teaching and suffering reproaches for the cause of Christ. And yet there was a sense of liberation at death. Why? Because, number one, he was comforted. Number two, he was resting. And so we're in the presence of the Lord, but also to think that not are we only in the presence of the Lord, but we are with the people of the Lord. When Abraham died, as recorded by Moses in the book of Genesis, the Bible says that he was gathered unto his people. Do you have people on the other side? Do you have a grandparent, a mate, a sibling, a child, a friend, a coworker, a classmate, a neighbor? You know what the answer is for all of us? The answer is the same, yes. We've all lost people that we've loved. But to know that they have gone to be with God's people. And to know that when we die, we go home to be with God's people, don't we? You go back and look at all those great Old Testament saints. Can you imagine being in the presence of men like Abraham, his wife Sarah? Or what about Isaac, Jacob, David, some of the great prophets of God, Esther, Ruth, I mean, you think about all of these great people that have lived. And then, to maybe make it a little bit more real, to think about being with your loved ones. To think about those that you have lost that have been near and dear to you, but you are with them. You ever stood at the side of a grave? And as you look at the tombstone and reflect upon the person that has succumbed to death, particularly a married couple, Etched on that tombstone are these words, together forever. Let me tell you what, when we step out into eternity and we're with the people of God, we will be together forever. That's a great thought, isn't it? Now, there's a third thing I want you to consider in our study, and that is the crown that we will receive from the Lord. I said a moment ago that when we visit the cemetery, particularly at night, there's something that in the minds of many says this is the end, that this is the final curtain. And there is this sense of bleakness and darkness and hopelessness. But I want you to see through all of that, to see the light of God's Word. And to see what God has to say and to show you that He amplifies the darkness with the light of His Word. So, what about this crown? Well, first you need to consider the return of the Lord, the revelation of the Lord. The Bible talks about His eventual return. He will come as a thief in the night according to 2 Peter chapter 3 in verse 10. And the Bible talks about the sight and sounds of the Lord's coming. Many of us have probably seen on television occasions whereby stars are on quote-unquote the red carpet. And they are on the red carpet because they want to to be seen by people, don't they? We talk about how fancy their attire and how glamorous they may look. And they are seen by a chosen few. Well, You need to understand when Jesus comes, He will be seen by all. What about the sight of Jesus' return? John said in Revelation chapter 1 verse 7, Listen to Him. Every eye shall see Him, and they also who pierced Him, and all nations of the earth shall mourn over Him. When Jesus comes, everyone will have, as we would say, a front row seat. He won't come, and you miss Him. I promise you that. When the Lord Jesus comes from heaven, you will see Him. Jesus said He'll come with all His holy angels. And so, the sight of His coming. Can you imagine Jesus coming with that band of angels? What about the sounds of his coming? Well, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout, and that shout will be heard by everyone, whether in the grave or on planet earth. We'll all hear that shout. We will hear the voice of the archangel. The Bible says we will hear the trumpet of God. Can you imagine? Some who have been in that silent city of the dead for thousands of years, they will hear. They will hear the sound. They will hear the voice of the archangel. They will hear the trumpet of God. If Jesus were to come this very hour, we would see Him and the sounds would be so evident we wouldn't miss Him. So His return is not just probable. It is definite. But what about when He comes, His resurrection? Now let me tell you what, the basis upon which we know that one day we will be raised from the dead is because He has been raised from the dead. Paul said that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power, by the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, in effect, that Christ has been raised from the dead, verifiable by the numerous witnesses. And if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, our faith is vain, our preaching is vain, and we're still in sin. And really, our lot is one of misery. But Paul would say in that context, look, we shall not all sleep, but He said, We shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. He said, The dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now you think about that. When Jesus comes, as He said in John chapter 5, All that are in the grave shall hear His voice and shall come forth. Could you imagine being in the cemetery when Jesus comes? And those graves begin to open The dead rise. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Those of us who belong to him, we will, if we are at that point in time, deceased. We will come with him. That physical body will be raised and that spirit, that soul will be reunited. And Paul could say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Therefore. In light of these events, he said, you comfort one another with these words. So the return of the Lord, the resurrection by the Lord, and then the reward given by the Lord. Let me tell you what, you live a faithful Christian life, what do you have to look forward to? You have an inheritance. It might be that you're in somebody's will as we speak. And at their decease, all of the earthly belongings of somebody very close to you will be placed in your hands. But that doesn't even begin to compare to the reward, the inheritance that you have on the other side. Peter said we have an inheritance, it is incorruptible, it is undefiled, it fades not away, and he said it is reserved in heaven for you. And so that's why Jesus would say, look, you need to be faithful until death so that you might receive the Stephanos, the victor's crown. James said, blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he has been tried he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Is it worth enduring the trials and the tribulations, the adversities and sorrows of this life? The answer is yes. Is it worth being faithful to God despite adversity and persecution and trial? The answer is yes. Why? Because the crown of life awaits us. One day God will bestow on us that beautiful crown, that victor's crown, and we will go home to be with God forevermore. And so, as Solomon said many, many years ago, the righteous... The righteous has hope in death. If you're a child of God, you have hope. I'm telling you here today, you have hope. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about people who have no hope. And the reason they don't have hope is because they don't have God in their lives, Ephesians 2 verse 12. When we went to the cemetery last month and reflected on the short life of Andrew, a friend, a brother in Christ. We did so with sorrow, probably, to some extent, but with joy. Why? Because we know we'll see him again. And because he has hope, and we have hope. And if you're a child of God, you have hope. Look, a hundred years from now, This world will be long, long behind us. And eternity will be before us. So is it worth living the Christian life? The answer is yes. Is it the best life? Yes. Is it the blessed life? Yes, it is. You got loved ones on the other side, and you're not a Christian? You better get in Christ if you want to see Him again. You want to be with your child? your sibling your parent who died in christ then you need to be in christ because paul said in ephesians 2 verse 13 now in christ jesus he said those who once were far off are brought near by the blood of christ that's what makes the difference if you're here today and you haven't obeyed the gospel i want to encourage you to do that what do you need to do you need to believe that jesus is the son of god because without that jesus said you'll die in your sins and he said if you die in your sins where i am there you can't come You need to also repent of every sin. Confess the name of Christ. Be baptized into Christ so that all your sins can be washed away. Andrew was baptized into Christ one month before he died. One month. You want to go to heaven? You got to be baptized into Christ. Why? Because that's where salvation is, Mark 16, 16. If you're here, And you're not faithful. Could we pray with you and for you today? The Bible tells us that God will cleanse you from all sin, 1 John 1, 9. Won't you come as we stand and sing?